Good to be with you guys tonight. It is so good to be back. Uh, many of you guys may know I was the middle school youth pastor here for about five and a half years and loved every minute of it. We, uh, my wife and I and some friends just moved about two months ago to a town called Clarksville, Tennessee, which is about 45 minutes north of Nashville to start a church out there. And it has been a wild ride and it, it, it's been a blast the whole time. Uh, we went out there thinking that we would start a Saturday night service in the middle of September. We met some people, uh, and people were asking for us to put on a Bible study. That was never really in my plans, but I thought, I guess there's nothing bad about starting a Bible study, right? So let's do it. And uh, we met a guy and, and uh, started meeting at his house, and our first night we had four couples that showed up, and we're studying through Romans chapter 12. Uh, in fact, I think they're watching tonight as well, so really cool to have them joining us online. But it's been a blast, and God has been doing incredible things. We're spending the summer every Saturday night going to different parks, meeting people where they are in the community, and we've heard such great feedback from that. People are so amazed. What we do is we go out to these parks and we just grill up free burgers and hot dogs and hand out Bibles, and people are like, there's no catch to this, you know, uh, really just for free. I don't go uh, why, you know, and we just tell them we just want to share the love of Christ. And that's what it's all about. In fact, last Saturday, I got to pray with two people to receive Christ there in a park, 90% humidity at a picnic table in a park. And it was fantastic. So got to pray with them. But God is just doing some great things, and uh, we would appreciate your prayers. Uh, if you want to keep up to date with us, our website is awakenchurch.org. Funny story about that, actually, before we get started. Uh, apparently, w- one thing we didn't know about the city that we're in is, apparently they have a big population of Wiccans. And so one night we were uh, going around on Saturday nights introducing ourselves, inviting people uh, to the park, telling them what we were doing and where we were from. And uh, somebody said, yeah, we're from Awaken Church. And somebody's like, you're from Awaken Church? I don't know if I want burgers from Awaken, right? But they eventually, we clarified and uh, came out and joined us. So Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're at tonight. If you want to turn in your Bibles there, we're going to look at uh, 12 verses. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. And while you guys are flipping pages, why don't we start with a word of prayer? God, it blows my mind to think that I'm here, and I'm certainly not a pro on this topic. I've only been married six years myself. But Lord, I believe that your word has such powerful truths to speak to our lives about this topic. And Lord, tonight we just open our hearts to you. There are many, many people in here tonight who are married, have been married, Um, have fallen in love and out of love and so many different situations. God, I pray for those tonight who are in a marriage. Maybe it's rocky. I pray that you'd speak to them. Maybe it's a fantastic marriage. I pray that you'd speak to them. I pray for anyone who's not married, who is maybe thinking about it one day or is close to getting married. God, speak to them on a specific level where where they're at. We thank you for your word, and we thank you that marriage was your idea. And so because of that, we yield to you, and we open our hearts to hear from you tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as you guys may uh, may know, 
any of you who have moved cross-country, you know that moving anywhere, we, we moved about 1,200 miles away, and you know that when you take a big move like that with everything you own in a rental truck, it's a bit of an adventure. And it certainly was for us. My wife is uh, seven months pregnant, I believe. She was about five months pregnant when we moved, so we decided that she and our two-year-old daughter were going to fly out there so they didn't have to do the road trip. And my dad and I, uh, my dad rented the truck for us, and we loaded up the truck, and we put my, my truck on a trailer, and we towed that out there. And our first day, we set out at about 6 in the morning. We drove for about 12 hours, and we got about an hour uh, past Oklahoma City. When our budget rental truck that wouldn't allow us to get anywhere over 70 miles per hour, the lights on the dash came on. And you know that's never good, especially in a vehicle that you're not familiar with. So my dad pulled over, and I was pretty confident because my dad is way smarter than me when it comes to mechanical anything. Uh, so I figured we'll be back on the road here in 20, 30 minutes. Well, four hours later, that was not the story. There we were, I-40 East, mile marker 207 to be specific. If you're ever by there, wave high. Um, <laughs> There we were four hours later, to make the, the, a long story short, I was laying in the bed of my truck, hooked up to our broken down budget rental truck, in the dark, 11 o'clock at night, covered in mosquito bites, singing and listening to my, my iPod, the monkey's song, Last Train to Clarksville, okay? <laughs> and I was thinking at that moment, how fantastic a train sounded right then, you know? I mean, I'll just forget about all this stuff. Um, it, it turned out that we had to get our truck towed back in Oklahoma City. The next day, my dad and I spent about 12 hours unloading everything out of that truck that it had taken uh, five hours for a team of 12 to unload and loading it into a new truck. And we set out that night and uh, we made it. So it was a bit of an adventure, but I'll tell you, when I was laying there in the bed of my truck at 11 o'clock at night, mosquitoes and fireflies, which were pretty cool, by the way, um, I started thinking, this was never supposed to happen. I was not supposed to be here right now. We should be four hours past this point. Now, I do want to ask you, how many of you tonight, our topic is marriage. How many of you are married in this room tonight? Awesome. Very cool. I'm glad that you guys are married, and I know for me, apart from uh, accepting Christ, when I married my wife Jen, that was when life really began for me. And I hope that you guys have a blast in your marriage as well. I hope tonight God is really able to speak to you on a, on a very personal level about your marriage and about your relationship. But maybe some of you who are married, and uh, many of you who have been through any type of relationship at all, you've probably come to a similar point where I was at there on I-40 East, mile marker 207. This wasn't supposed to happen. How did I ever get here? In fact, I remember somebody told me one time that sin takes us places that we never thought we'd be. Isn't that true? And maybe some of us, some of you in this room have been to a point where you've been through a divorce, you've contemplated divorce or separation. Maybe there's always arguing or fighting going on at home and maybe you're wondering what happened to the Disney ending to my, to my marriage, happily ever after. 
That's how this was supposed to be, and it used to be so much better, you might think. Well, tonight I've entitled the message, Marriage is So Dramatic. Now, don't think that my marriage is on the rocks because I put that, okay? I'm not trying to get back at my wife by titling the message that. We're going to talk about tonight some of the drama that unfolds as two sinners try to love each other and submit to each other. We're going to talk about a deeper drama as well. The drama that goes on behind the scenes that many people miss. Because as a married Christian, you are an actor in a drama that portrays a meaning that many people miss when it comes to marriage. And it's my favorite part about our text tonight. We're going to get there toward the end. We're going to talk about a lot of issues tonight, what happens that causes the breakdowns of so many marriages, why is the divorce rate so high, what is your role as a husband or wife in marriage. We'll look at a very uh, familiar passage. We'll see where you fit. Will marriage even work if Jesus isn't in there? We'll look at all of those uh, questions and answers tonight. Let's look at our text, Ephesians 5. 22 through 33, and then we'll dive in. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. If you're a note taker, we'll start with number one, and that's the part of the wife a submissive helper. And you're right, I did just use the term submissive. Husbands, you're like, honey, pay attention, okay? It's time to focus on the Lord right now. <laughs> Husbands, your time is coming, okay? Let's, ta- let's, let's start with the wife. For some women, that word submit is a hot button, isn't it? Because it's so abused. We, we think of this idea of submission sometimes as the husband's way of reminding the wife that she is under him. And that is not the way that submission was intended by God. It is not intended that way. In fact, God intended submission on the part of the wife to the husband to be an act of obedience to God, not the husband. Now, of course, there will be, there, there comes a level of obedience to the husband, but ultimately, a wife submitting to her husband is obeying God directly. It's not meant to uh, create some type of slavery to the husband. 
It's obedience to God. So what does it look like to be a submissive wife? Let me give you two things. You can write down two characteristics of godly submission that we're going to look at our text here. First off, it needs to be willing. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Skip down to verse 33. The end of verse 33 says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now catch what verse 22 said. Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Not wives submit to your own husbands as though he was the Lord. Okay? Because many men turn it into that. Did you read what the Bible says? Submit. And that's not the way that it was meant to be. This is not meant to be used by the husband as a way to force the wife into a position or, or you know, elevate him so high almost to a place of worship. That's not the way it was supposed to be. This should be willing submission to the husband. In fact, I would say that submitting to your husband is one way that you as a wife can worship God. Isn't that great? There's so many ways that we can worship, but that's one way. As a wife, submitting to your husband is a way to worship God. Here's the second characteristic of godly submission. It's wholehearted. Look at verse 24. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Submit to your husbands in everything. Whatever the situation is, whatever situation arises, part of obedience to God as a godly Christian woman, is to be in submission to your husband. Now, as the head of the household, when something fails, it falls on the husband's shoulders. God has placed us in a position that we are to take the brunt of the responsibility. And so because of that, as a godly wife, you need to be submitted to that wholeheartedly. Even if you're smarter, okay? Even if you say, well, I've uh, been through this more, or I've gone to school longer, or I'm more equipped for this situation, remember that your part in the marriage relationship is to be a submissive helper. I asked my wife the other night as I was studying this text about uh, some practical advice on submission. She gave me a couple interesting points about it. I kind of wanted a female opinion on it. She gave me a couple really practical things. One thing that she pointed out was a phrase that is not in the spirit of submission. You ready for this? It's one that's easy to use. I told you so. Right? That's not very submissive. Husbands, you're like, see, what did I tell you? That, see, you just did it wrong right there. The I told you so should not be pulled out, although it's a tempting one to use, especially when you did tell us so, right? And that's, it's really easy. Remember our conversation when I said that wouldn't work, you know? And so it's easy to pull that one out. But part of godly biblical submission is to remain humble in everything. Another part of Submission is agreeing, not constantly questioning all of the decisions that are being made. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. This is not saying that the husband has the final decision, period, no discussion. Dialogue is very important. 
The husband and wife should be on the same page, especially when it comes to big decisions. Communicating and dialoguing is extremely important and it's very wise. But when the decision is made, roll with it. Go with it. And when something fails, even though you told us it would, be there to help fix the problem. Godly biblical submission on the part of the wife is willing and it's wholehearted. The phrase submissive helper, it's probably not the most politically correct phrase, I guess. But before you start to think that submitting is a bad word or a humiliating term, look back at verse 21. We didn't read it yet. It says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. The context is everyone submitting to everyone. And so it's not just the wife's job, although she has a very uh, unique spot in the marriage. And before you think that helper is an insulting title, I'd remind you of John 14, 16, where Jesus refers to God, the Holy Spirit, as our helper. And so don't think that the title uh, or the phrase submissive helper is, uh, is any type of insulting title. That's not how it's meant. Because in a biblical Godly, Christ-centered marriage, the part of the wife is to be a submissive helper. In fact, as I mentioned, one way that you worship God is by submitting to your husband. Now, keep in mind, the backdrop against which Paul is writing this letter to the, the Ephesian church. Believe it or not, in Paul's day and age, women were far lower in society than they are today. Of course, uh, there's, there's been the feminist movements and everything, uh, and, and so women are on a much higher level today than they were in Paul's day and age. They were the lowest of the low. In fact, Jewish men often would pray a prayer that said something to the, uh, to the effect of, God, thank you for not making me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That would be in their prayer. That they were the lowest of the low. Any little thing would be an excuse for a divorce, which sounds pretty similar today. Literally, if the food wasn't good for dinner, the husband had a right to divorce his wife. If he met someone who was more attractive, he had the right to divorce his wife because by the letter of the law, she was not pleasing to him anymore. And now, of course, that could be uh, interpreted in so many different ways. And so women had a far lower rank in society. And that is the backdrop against which Paul is writing. The men of Paul's day would have loved the idea that Paul said for women to submit. They would have been totally okay with that. But it's this next part that they probably would not have agreed with. And husbands, this is your part. Here's number two. The part of the husband is to be a sacrificial leader. Sacrifice. The husband has been placed by God as the head of the household. That is not because he is more deserving, more equipped. It's just the way God designed it. He bears the the brunt of the weight and the responsibility for the household. I remember growing up, my dad made the decisions. He was the head of the household. He protected us. Of course, now, me, as the leader of the house, my role is different. It's up to me. The brunt of the responsibility and the protection and the provision falls on my shoulders. Growing up, I remember uh, whenever I'd see a cockroach in the garage, I called my sister in to take care of that. 
It's just the way I was. Things have changed now. I know when I hear a high-pitched scream that I better grab a flip-flop and run downstairs because there's probably a bug that needs to be taken care of. Under my bed, I have a, a weapon that I call the bad guy bat. And if anyone ever enters my house, I will quickly introduce them to a New Mexico tradition known as the piñata, okay? They will very quickly uh, be turned into a human piñata and probably not be able to pronounce the word piñata by the time I'm done with them. The brunt of the responsibility falls on the man's shoulders. Let's look at four characteristics of the godly husband's sacrifice in the marriage. First off, it's unconditional. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Wow. Right there, we could teach for weeks about just the implications of this one verse. How did Christ love the church? I mean, it was enough. It was amazing enough that Jesus... God became human, but then he served us. He washed his disciples' feet, and then he died the death that every one of us deserved. We just took communion to remember that. That is the type of unconditional, self-sacrificing love that God represented. He's the best example in all of history of this unconditional love. No one else compares. So this love has to be unconditional. It will cost you something. I read an interesting news story. The title of the news story is Man to Marry Pillow. A Nigerian man who says he cannot get a girlfriend because of his bad stutter has announced plans to marry his pillow. This man, 26 years old, a laborer from Lagos, told the Daily Metro that his stammer made it difficult for him to speak to girls. Since I am a stutterer, he says, ladies have always laughed at me whenever I try to talk to them. I have needs, and so I have taken to sleeping with my pillow in my arms ever since I was 16. I've grown to fall in love with it, and I intend to spend the rest of my life with it. And then here's, here's where this ties in. He also said that unlike a woman, the pillow would cost him little or nothing to maintain for the rest of its life. I think it will make the ideal mate for me, he said. Guys, I hate to break it to you. Marriage will cost you. And your love has to be unconditional. Following the example of Jesus Christ. We have to love our wives as Jesus loved the church. It's daily and it's deliberate and it doesn't come easy. Here's a second characteristic of this sacrifice. It must be purposeful. Verse 26 that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So there's a purpose behind this sacrifice, this love, sanctification and purity. That's exactly what Christ's love is for us. It's sanctifying, it's cleansing, it's purifying. And part of loving your wife is leading her spiritually, washing her, like it says, in the water of the word, praying for her, leading her in times of devotion, leading her spiritually. So this this sacrificial leader must be unconditional, purposeful. Here's a third characteristic of this sacrifice, and that's beneficial. Verse 27, 
that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, that she should be holy and without blemish. The more we are drawn into Christ's love, the holier we are. And the more you love your wife, the holier she should become. It should be a cleansing, purifying process. And out of that, you will reap benefit. Because there are endless benefits to having godly, pure, holy wife. I mean, we're all familiar with Proverbs 31.10. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her worth is far above rubies. So it must be unconditional. It's purposeful. It's beneficial. Here's number four. It must be provisional. Look at verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves him loves his wife, loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Look down at verse 33. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself. So this sacrifice must be provisional. Now, think about this, men. What would your marriage look like if you loved your wife as much as you love yourself? says that he who loves his, his wife loves himself. Now, for the most part, I'd say you take men, you take pretty good care of your bodies, some more than others, right? But for the most part, we like to eat and we like to nourish ourselves and we like to make sure that we're taken care of. Verse 28 says, he who loves his wife loves himself because we all know the motto. When mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, Right? He who loves his wife loves himself. In fact, I'd take it a step further and say that we should love our wives better than our own bodies. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? He laid down even his own physical body for us. He loved us more than his own life. Now, let's be honest, men. Those two words, nourish and cherish, are not great descriptive words when it comes to how we treat our bodies, right? nourishing and cherishing. I don't know. Think about it this way. This weekend is the men's retreat. Many of you men will be heading out there to the men's retreat. I hate to break it to you men, but life will go on just fine without you. Okay? It'll be a great weekend and I'm sure your wives will miss you a little bit at least. But when you come home, everything's going to be in order just as it was when you left. The house isn't going to come crumbling down just because you left. I'm sorry to break it to you. The story's a little different, though, on the weekend of the women's retreat, isn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. Cake for every meal. You fall asleep in bed with like a Reese's wrappers and a Coke in your hand. You wake up with gum in your hair and you don't even remember chewing gum. You wake up with crayon on the wall and you don't even have kids. How did that happen, you know? I don't get it, right? What happens to us men when our wives leave? I don't get it. Something crazy happens. And I would say cherishing doesn't naturally uh, come to us. But that's part of providing for our wives. Nourish her. Cherish her. Provide for her emotionally, physically, spiritually. It's not just any man who can fulfill the biblical role of being a husband. It is a very big calling. And I would say this, husbands, 
Maybe you've thought, you know what, I think my wife really struggles with being submissive. Let me say this to you. If your wife is struggling to be submissive, I would say you're probably struggling to be loving. Because when you do your part, she will have no problem doing her part. It will come naturally. When you love her sacrificially as Jesus Christ loved us and gave himself for us, what is your wife going to want to do? Submit herself completely to you. And so they go hand in hand. So the part of the wife is being a submissive helper. The part of the husband being a sacrificial leader. And if we stop there, that would be some great things. But the third part, in my opinion, is the kicker. And it's what makes everything that we've talked about really worth it. This is number three. The picture behind marriage. So we've seen the part of the wife, the part of the husband. Now let's look at the picture behind marriage. And that is the Savior's love. The picture behind marriage, the Savior's love. Now unfortunately, sometimes with marriage, people miss out on this deeper meaning. This added drama, the the picture that lies behind the Christian marriage. They stop with just the husband and the wife. Maybe some of you guys remember those 3D images that were so prevalent in the 90s. Uh, Many of us had magic eye books, you know, that were on our coffee table or whatever it was. You guys know what I'm talking about? They're kind of, uh, you, you look at it and you have no idea what this picture is, but as you look deeper into it, there's this added image, right? This third dimension. And so it's, it's this two-dimensional image, and at first you see it and it makes no sense. In fact, I remember having a book, somebody bought it for our family, and we had it on our coffee table. When I was bored, I would sit down and I would flip through this, this, the pages of this book, and at first I didn't get it. What are all of these meaningless pieces of, you know, I, I, don't, I don't get this. But when you spend time with it and you look a lot deeper, you start to see the image that's behind it. There's a third dimension. My favorite was always being at like the uh, doctor's office or the dentist's office when they had those posted on the wall. You know what I'm talking about? And you'd be sitting there and maybe you were the pro that walked in right away. Oh yeah, it's a motorcycle. And somebody else walks up like, where? I don't, how is that a motor? It looks like a bunch of dots. I don't, really? There's a motorcycle in there? And you go to the next one. Oh yeah, there's a rabbit. Like, no, there's not. It's like, a thousand dots. That's all it is. And they get so frustrated. I loved sitting in the doctor's office watching people strain their eyes, stand on one foot to try to see it, go cross-eyed. They get so frustrated and they walk away and they'd sit down, right? Well, I think those optical illusions are a lot like marriage. You're thinking, why? Because they're so frustrating and hard to understand? No, it's not what I'm getting at. Like those images... Many people stop with the first two dimensions. They get frustrated. And we see our roles of husband and wife, and I don't get it, you might might think. It's not working out. Let me tell you, if you stop with just seeing the husband and the wife in the marriage, you're losing the biggest part of the picture. You're losing that third dimension. And that's the part that's the kicker. That's the part that most people miss. Look at verse 32. Paul writes, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. I love that. Little tiny verse that changes the meaning of everything he's just said. 
Think about it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, be submitted to your husbands and everything. He goes on and on about how a husband should treat his wife and vice versa. Then he throws this little verse in here. Hey, uh, I'm talking about a mystery here. I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. And then verse 33, he goes right back to it. Nevertheless, husbands, make sure you love your wives and wives, respect your husbands. Right in the middle, though, there's this, this nugget. This piece of beauty, verse 32, that changes everything. Because marriage was not intended to be just about you and your spouse. You are just the first two dimensions. And if you stop with just focusing on you, you look like a blur that makes no sense, just like those images. You have to look past it. There's a far deeper meaning than just a man and a woman. The third dimension is Jesus Christ. Because the picture of a man's sacrificial love for his wife and the wife's selfless submission to her husband is the drama that you are actors and actresses in. And that's the drama that the title comes from. Sure, there's plenty of drama that plays out when two sinners try to love each other. But the deeper drama is the part that we are all actors in. In illustrating and portraying the Savior's love. Because in this dramatic representation of his love, the wife plays the part of the church, Christians. The husband plays the part of Christ. And as the wife submits herself to her husband in all things... So the church submits ourselves to Christ in all things. And as the husband loves, cherishes, nurtures his wife, so Christ does for the church. In fact, he laid it all down to prove that he really did love us. And that reminds me even more so of why it would be that God hates divorce. Check Malachi chapter 2 if you think I'm being a little strong with that. God hates divorce. Why would God hate divorce? Because that ruins the whole picture of his love. Divorce has never entered God's vocabulary when he's thought about us. And it should be the exact same with you in your marriage. It's one thing my wife and I said from from the very start. My family has been riddled with divorce. And I said, that stops with me. That no longer enters our vocabulary. We don't talk about it. It's not an option. And it's the very same with Jesus Christ for you. He will never leave you. He would never divorce you. And so you have to see that the picture of marriage is destroyed with divorce. It's no wonder God hates it. And it's no wonder that the Bible warns against being yoked together with an unbeliever. Think about it. How can an unbeliever ever accurately play the part in this spiritual drama? They haven't really understood what their role ever really is. Now some of you tonight, I know some of you in here tonight, you are married currently to an unbeliever. Some of you uh, married them while you were a Christian. Others of you have come to Christ since you married them. 
I don't want you to think that you're hopeless tonight. Because I want you to see that even married to an unbeliever, your loving submission to them, your sacrificial love for them, is a beautiful picture of Christ's love for an undeserving people, isn't it? That's what Jesus did for us. He sacrificed it all. He laid it all on the line. Marriage is dramatic. And I encourage you, don't let the day-to-day drama of marriage as two sinners try to work everything out, don't let that get in the way of the deeper third dimension of the reason God created marriage in the first place. And that was to act out his love for the church. Maybe some of you tonight, I have no idea, many of us are in far different settings and and circumstances. I've been praying for you for, for weeks now that God would speak to each of us tonight, myself included. He's spoken powerfully to me through this passage. That he would speak to us on a very individual level. And all of us have different relationships going on. Some of you are not married. Some of you have been married. Some of you have been married for years and decades. Wherever you're at tonight, I believe that God has a very specific thing to speak to you tonight. Maybe it's that you need to change the way you're relating to your spouse. Husbands, the way you're treating your wife. Wives, the way that you're respecting or not to your husband. Maybe something in that setting needs to be changed. Maybe you're not married and you're wondering, how does this apply to me? Pray for your spouse, I would encourage you. Wherever they are, you may not even know their name yet, but they're out there somewhere. Pray for them, that God would continue to speak to them. And right now, begin the humbling process of understanding what your role one day as a husband or wife will be. But this passage has an implication for every one of us. Because whether or not you're married, you can very clearly see the picture of Christ portrayed through marriage. He gave it all for us. He laid it all on the line and he proved what true love really was. And tonight, if you have not experienced that love, I want to encourage you, do not walk out these doors without committing your life to Jesus Christ. No matter what you've done, no matter who you've been, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how impure you feel, God is the loving husband that wants to take you back. And he has open arms tonight, ready to forgive. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that you proved what marriage, what love, what it all was really all about. If we ever had a thought in our minds that maybe God doesn't love us, What better picture is there for us to see than the cross? You laid it all on the line. And you proved to us what self-sacrificing love really looks like and what it feels like. God, none of us as sinners are able to live that out for each other. There are many marriages in this room that are struggling. People right now that are in the middle of a separation or a divorce or there's abuse going on mentally, physically, God, I pray that you'd mend those relationships. I believe that you are bigger than those problems. I believe that you are bigger than our sin. I believe, Lord, that you didn't just die on the cross, but you have been resurrected to new life. And with that breaks the power of sin and death 
in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships. So Jesus, remind us tonight what our roles are in this marriage relationship. But God, help us not to just stop there. Help us to remember what our part is and that we are a part of this dramatic illustration of your love for us. Jesus, thank you for never giving up on us. We love you. We are so undeserving. And that's what makes your amazing love so incredible. In your name we pray. Amen.